All right, Joel chapter 3, Joel chapter 3, Lord willing, we're going to finish out this uh, Old Testament prophet Joel, <clears throat> Joel chapter 3, and I want to uh, remind us, verses 1 and 2, as we go into the last part of the chapter, to give us the context again of what, uh, what um, Joel is presenting here in his prophecy from the Lord. Joel chapter 3, notice verses 1 and 2, 4, and of course that ties us back to uh, chapter 2, as I already said uh, <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, uh, verses 28 through 31, 32, uh, actually is already fulfilled prophecy, of course uh, P- Peter even said that on the day of Pentecost, and then of course then it's also pointing forward to, uh, to New Jerusalem at the end of verse 32, for behold in those days and in that time, notice again the timing is given to us here, when... I have that word circled because I'm emphasizing something here. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. There's a lot of discussion about the valley of of Jehoshaphat. We're going to look at that here today. But I want to emphasize again the reason why I say, and again, this is is based on Scripture, not based on uh, what uh, any teacher says. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now let me ask you, in 1948, was there a gathering together of all the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat? No, there wasn't. So that tells me that this was not, 1948 was not the fulfillment of prophecy. That is not a a fulfillment of prophecy. And I mentioned in passing a couple weeks ago, one of the examples I I mentioned were the Rothschilds that are, you know, Wikipedia listing just says they're, they're Ashkenazi Jews. But I mentioned in passing Benjamin Netanyahu as well. And, and so I looked that up as far as more details on that. And I want to use this as an example of what I, why I say that it's not a fulfillment of prophecy. That kind of thing, that, that bringing back again to the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem is something still in the future. Benjamin Netanyahu actually changed his name at least twice according to this write-up. So why are you constantly changing your name? But uh, he was born in 1949 in Tel Aviv, Israel. His father was born in Warsaw, Poland. Okay, pay attention to this. Warsaw, Poland. His grandfather was Nathan Milikowski. That sounds like a Polish name, right? Well, his grandfather was a rabbi and Zionist writer. His father changed his name to Ben Zion Netanyahu when they moved to uh, Israel. And uh, he was a historian specializing in the Jewish golden age of Spain. Well, his family, according to this, this article, his family is predominantly Ashkenazi. You remember what I showed you in Genesis chapter 10? Ashkenaz is the grandson of Japheth. They are Gentiles. The ones who are ruling in Israel today, the state of Israel, are Gentiles. They're Ashkenazis. In fact, his father, Benjamin Netanyahu's father, said that DNA testing revealed he had, uh, that he had some Sephardic ancestry. So I looked that up as, as a reminder. Who, who are the Sephardic Jews? They are Spanish Jews. In other words, it's all Europe. They are Japhethites. They are Gentiles. They are, in fact, I, I think of, of Revelation 2, 9 and 3, 9. Those who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. 
those are not Jews that are in rule, uh, ruling in Israel today. That was not a fulfillment of prophecy as far as Scripture is concerned. Because again, you notice, when I shall bring back again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Now, I want to remind you again, Rome in A.D. 70 is the, is the cause of the scattering of Israel. As you understand this, Rome is going to be the empire that's in power when Jesus Christ comes back. And that's in particular seen by way of the, the Roman Catholic uh, uh, Empire and all those things now. So again, all of these things we must pay attention to to understand all the stuff that's going on in our world today. So, so when you understand that these are Japhethites, then you know that they are usurpers Usurpers of God's Old Testament promises as far as, as, far as uh, Israel is concerned. Now notice verse 9 because we're, we're going to look at, uh, at uh, this valley of Jehoshaphat and some of the things as far as end time events. So, so, so again, uh, chapter 2 verses 28 and following, that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And so um, these, these prophecies have been and are being fulfilled. I'm emphasizing that again even as we've seen in prophecy, it says, verse 9, Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, proclaim it among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. This is totally opposite of Isaiah 2, verses, uh, verse 4. Notice, beat your plowshares into swords. So make weapons, prepare for war, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Notice then also, the Lord says, Assemble yourselves, and come, ye, uh, come all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Notice, thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Notice in the midst of giving this pro <clears throat> prophecy, we see that Joel offers a prayer. This is similar to us praying, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We want you to come, Lord Jesus. But thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. And I, I believe this is talking about the, you know, the coming of the Lord with uh, his mighty angels and all that. But again, you notice it said, the, the command here is assemble yourselves. Come, all ye heathen, the Gentiles, and gather yourselves together. <coughs> Excuse me, round about. Notice me, Psalm 2. Psalm 2. <clears throat> A familiar psalm, but I believe this very clearly refers to this as far as this final rebellion against God. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves. This is why I like saying they're set in their ways. There are many kings, they're not going to believe in the, in the Messiah. They're not going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are set in their ways. And the rulers take counsel together. Notice this conspiracy against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Uh, you know, they... they like to discount these things as conspiracy theories. Well, the reality is there is a conspiracy going on. God himself said this. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Notice this rebellion against God. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The Lord has already been seated there. Uh, on the right hand of God the Father. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, 
and the uttermost uh, part of the earth, parts of the earth for thy possession. Notice again this rebellion against God, but again it says, assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together. Now I want to uh, point out here a couple other things here as we go through this passage. We're going to look at a couple passages in Revelation, but also in Matthew. Notice it says, let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, now, it's very interesting. Notice it doesn't say come down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat, from what I understand geographically, would be higher in, in an elevation than, um, than other areas of Israel. But, but notice it says come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Notice me Matthew 25. This is the passage that I thought about as I noticed that or read through that statement. Notice <clears throat> there in the valley of Jehoshaphat will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Matthew chapter 25. Of course, this is uh, commonly referred to as the sheep and goat judgment. It says in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, Oh, that sounds, mighty ones come down, remember in, in Joel 3, uh, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now I want to emphasize there's only two groups, not three, because there are, there are some who try to read into this and say that there's a third group uh, with Jesus passing judgment, and that's the Jews. That's not talking, it's talking about believers and unbelievers. This is a judgment of the nations. This has nothing to do with, with Israel. Not, again, there's only two groups, believers and unbelievers, sheep and goats. It says here, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he gives the evidence of their belief. Verse 40, it says, The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the, one of the least of these, these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now, very interesting. Um, was it Matthew 12, I think it is, uh, but other places, but Hebrews 2, uh, 2 also mentions this, where it says that Jesus calls those who believe in him his brethren, his sisters and mother and so on. But as we see this here, it says, You've done it once the least of these my brethren, obviously referring to believers. Then shall he say to them, one, uh, unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And then he gives the evidence of their unbelief. Then uh, drop down to, for the sake of time, verse 45, it says, Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it, not to one of the least of these. Notice, he doesn't say, My brethren. I believe he's pointing to someone, obviously he's you know, the ones that he had mentioned earlier. He did it, uh, ye did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Notice the goats, the unbelievers, shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So again, we see here this, this uh, sitting in the valley of Jehoshaphat to judge all the heathen round about. Then it says in verse 13, we're going to look at a couple passages here again. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. First of all, before I mention, forget to mention this, notice why God is judging, because their wickedness is great. I believe this is very similar to uh, Genesis 15, 16, where it talks about the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. 
when, when the wickedness in God's perspective is at its, at, at its ready to overflow, I want you to consider that that's when God is going to deal with the judgment on, on this earth. Notice to me in Matthew 13, as we think about this harvest principle, I want you to notice a couple of passages with this. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, this is, this is the passage that... Um, the one passage in particular that really started causing me to, to question what I had always been taught about the pre-trib rapture and everything because of the wording of what Jesus says here. Notice Matthew 13, verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, and brought forth, notice, then appeared the tares also. So we have wheat and tares. We have believers, and we have people who sometimes even look like a believer, make a profession of faith, whatever. But notice they're tares. They're, they're, they're planted there. They're put there by Satan himself. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, unbelievers, ye root up the wheat, believers, with them. Notice verse 30 very carefully. Let both grow together until the harvest. So when is the harvest? Does it take place seven years, you know, you know, seven years before the actual coming of the Lord? Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the believers in the rapture. That's not what the Bible says. Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Notice the unbelievers are gathered first before the... Wait a minute, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't fit a pre-trib rapture. So drop down then to the explanation in uh, verse uh, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Obviously, reference to the Lord Jesus. The field is the world. So we have a universal kingdom here. All nations are going to become the kingdom of the Lord. The field is the world. Uh, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Very clearly, Jesus helps us understand what he's talking about here. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Notice, the harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. Okay, so let me ask you. Seven-year tribulation, pre-trib rapture. Is that the end of the world? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you explain that Jesus himself said the tares are gathered first? Notice it says, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom, his kingdom. You know, you know, the beast is trying to build his own kingdom, Rome. But notice it's, it's, it's the Lord's kingdom all things that offend, and them that, uh, which uh, do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, with ears to hear, let him hear. Notice Revelation 14. Again, it's very interesting, reading things in Joel 3, 
and, and uh, passages in Revelation and other places. Revelation 14, <clears throat> verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Oh, no, notice that same title here, Son of Man. We just saw that in Matthew. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Oh, that sounds like Joel 3. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Again, I believe this is a point where wickedness is, is at a point where the Lord says, that's it, it, it's over. Notice the harvest of the earth is ripe, and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. The angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and notice blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse's bridles, horse bridles. By the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs, two hundred miles. Finally, notice Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19. Very familiar passage about the coming of the Lord, but I want you to notice the correlation here with what we just uh, saw in Joel 3. Verse 11 And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Notice, he's a man of war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him. Notice the armies. Uh, remember Joel 3 talks, uh, has this prayer, Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, All the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings." The flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Notice, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. Uh, remember Psalm 2, the kings of the earth are conspiring together. And their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Notice the remnant, remnant of the followers of the beast, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat on the horse, upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now as we go back to Joel 3, notice again the command, assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. This call to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put in the sickle. Ah, Revelation 14, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Now, I've heard preachers say that this is, this is a valley of decision for soul winning. This is, no, this is a valley of decision for judgment. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. God is the one who's going to decide, and he's going to decide for judgment because of, of their conspiracy against him. You think about Jude 14 and 15, where, where uh, Enoch talks, uh, mentions that uh, the Lord's coming back with ten thousands of his saints. Ten thousands, plural. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord, a, a statement of judgment, is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. Oh, this sounds like Matthew 24 about the coming of the Lord. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. <clears throat> the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. It's very interesting. Um, uh, Amos 1-2 uh, has the this, this same statement. Uh, he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. So we see these prophets are uh, prophesying about the same time. They're using the same message from the Lord. In fact, notice with me, uh, Jeremiah 25, this is another s- statement related to that, uh, the Lord roaring out of Zion. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25, notice verse 30 and 31. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his, his uh, habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them them, uh, that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. So again, as as he's coming, it's described as him roaring out of Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. Notice the heavens and the earth shall shake. The Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. But notice, the heavens and the earth shall shake. That sounds like uh, Hebrews 12, verses 26 and 27. Literally, the Lord is going to shake everything up as far as this earth is concerned as he takes control of the kingdoms. But notice this statement here. The Lord will be the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel. In the midst of all of this stuff that's taking place as far as the judgment of the nations, notice the hope and strength that's given to God's people. It's very interesting, the, uh, the, the hope there even speaks of a place of harbor. So, we're, so we think of the idea of a harbor of hope. L- literally, the Lord, for us believers, the Lord is our harbor of hope and strength in the times of, of judgment upon this earth. So shall we know, ye know, I should say, that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. Another statement why I believe 1948 Israel is not fulfillment of prophecy. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. <laughs> How does the Bible describe Jerusalem today? Revelation 11 verse 8 describes them as to be like, like Sodom and Egypt. Spiritually, Jerusalem today is like Sodom and Egypt. It's, it's, not, it's not earthly Jerusalem today. In fact, Galatians even talks about, about uh, Jerusalem today being a place of bondage. 
Notice, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. But you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Very interesting, Revelation 14.1, Hebrews 12, various places, calls New Jerusalem God's holy mountain. Verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. Uh, Amos 9.13 mentions this. By the way, this is not alcoholic wine. Because if I remember right, uh, Amos 9.13 calls it sweet wine. It's not fermentation. It says here, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. So we're not talking new wine. We're, not t- we're talking about the fruit of the vine. We're not talking about alcoholic wine. Notice the hills shall flow with milk. <laughs> Does that mean literally the hills are going to flow with milk? No, that means there's a lot of milk cows. (laughs) Literally, this is an expression that the Lord gave even as far as the promised land, you know, to Israel. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the symbolic of the the blessings and the promises of God that are are flowing out. Notice, all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And notice, a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Now, the valley of Shittim is actually on the east side of, of the Jordan River. So we're talking about the Lord's blessings going throughout the entire area. I want you to notice Ezekiel 47. I really believe this is a picture of what is mentioned there. Of course, Revelation 22 talks about the river of life coming from God's throne. Ezekiel 47, verse 1. Afterward, he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, the waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. So just follow this. This is symbolic here, but you notice how he describes this. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way uh, without unto the utter gate by the way that looked, uh, looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the uh, line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand, measured a thousand, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to, to, uh, were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through, and Waters were to the loins, up to the waist. And so notice, afterward he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said it unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, the bank of the river, there were many trees on the one side and on the other. This sounds just like New Jerusalem. Again, you notice here this, these blessings that will come, and, and I'm convinced, as I've studied this out in greater detail than I used to, I'm convinced that New Jerusalem actually comes down before the, you know, at the time of the millennial kingdom. The Gentiles will bring their, the light of their glory into it. Literally, the Lord is going to rule during the millennial kingdom from New Jerusalem, the holy mountain of God. And again, you talk about all these blessings, the river of life flowing and so on. Verse 19 of Joel 3, Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. So notice God's enemies will be, will be uh, cared for, the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. 
But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. So notice the contrast. The enemies of, of, of God, God's people, will be made a desolation, but Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Again, where, where does it say in Revelation that Jesus is dwelling? Where is his throne? In New Jerusalem, not in earthly Jerusalem. As, as we tie all this together, notice with me Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. In relation to Peter quoting from Joel 2 on the day of Pentecost, I want to show you something that was said shortly after that. Acts chapter 3, notice verse 19 through 21. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Notice, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until. Notice, heaven must receive Jesus Christ until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Now, when you think about what we just saw at the end of, of Joel 3, notice we have both the times of refreshing and the times of restitution. God is going to refresh his people. He's going to send blessings upon God's people. But notice there's also going to be a time of restitution when the nations, as we saw in Matthew 25, and we see that the nations are going to be judged uh, based on their, their um, dealings with, with uh, God's people, my, his, the Lord's brethren. But as we think about this, this uh, book of uh, Joel here, there are so many who uh, say all of it is future prophecy. I, I don't think so. Right. Just if nothing else. You know, verses 28 and following of, of Joel 2 that we saw. Peter himself said, an apostle said, that this was a fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. We need to be careful when we're reading prophecies not, not to read into what, what God has shown us. Otherwise, we end up with all kinds of uh, error and so on as far as prophecy. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to study carefully thy word. Lord, thank you for the things that uh, uh, I was able to study out in this Old Testament prophet Joel. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, again, discern these things. There's so, many, so much teaching here today in these last days. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.